from Relay FM. This is Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of streaming media. This is episode 23, released July 26th, 2022. I am Jason Snell, your master of ceremonies. And I am joined as always by Julia Alexander, <laughs> your director of strategy here and at Parrot Analytics. Hi, Julia. We got to get business cards. Yeah. Master of ceremony, director of strategy, business card. Does, do people have business cards anymore? You know what? I was at a, I was at a conference. Um, a few months ago and so i i transitioned from a journalist into kind of a biz dev role and um journalists don't have business cards they just have twitter and so they're like just follow me on twitter and like we'll tm Mm. and so i was used to that world and everyone kept handing me business cards and i kept being like oh Oh, cool cool i was like i'm on linkedin (laughs) yes (laughs) is that what we do here in biz dev Uh, we're on linkedin is that what it is um this this is our episode out of time uh, we recorded this two weeks ago or more as you're listening to this, uh, to, and taking a, a July break. So, uh, we had so many letters backed up that I thought we would just do a letters bonanza for this episode. Um, Love it. And so, uh, here we go. Uh, just it's, it's all letters all the time. This is from Tim. Tim says, I have Paramount Plus as an Apple TV channel, but I wasn't able to watch the U.S. women's national team CONCACAF soft soccer match versus Haiti live as advertised on Paramount Plus. Is this kind of deficit common with Amazon and Apple channels? The replay is now available to watch. I can take this one. Um, Please. Apple all has yours. some issues with live content. Um, they're getting better at it since they got their baseball deal. Um, in fact, a little known fact, when it came out, the baseball stuff on, on Apple, you couldn't uh, control the stream. You could only uh, watch it. You couldn't pause it. You couldn't back it up. They fixed that a few weeks ago. So Apple is basically having to build out a live streaming infrastructure for their stuff. I imagine that means that live stuff on Apple TV channels will also come along for the ride at some point. That said, I look, I'm all in on Apple's platforms, obviously. I have an Apple TV that I watch all my streaming stuff on. I don't use Apple TV channels. I just use the services with the apps because the fact is you're always it, the apps are where the services want to be. They know that's where they're going to build it. You're going to end up in situations like this. And honestly, um those apps all integrate with the TV app on Apple TV on Apple's platforms anyway in terms of up next and things like that. It just opens the third-party app and then you watch it there so i i for stories like this from tim these are the reasons where i'm like do i really want to buy a resold version of the streaming service i've also heard tell of like the metadata it lags a little bit so the new show drops right now on paramount plus and then it, it drops later on the paramount plus version inside of apple because they've got some lag in their cdn oh that's a uh, lot Oof. Yeah, so I wouldn't recommend doing this, but but to Tim, who maybe you know wants to stick with uh, the Apple TV channel version of Paramount Plus, my guess is that this will this will get fixed at some point because Apple's infrastructure is improving in terms of handling live TV content. It's a little bit weird that they didn't do this, but because um, they should. Um, but anyway, I wouldn't generally. These are these are the reasons why I wouldn't do an Apple TV channel or an Amazon channel. Is you end up having to use their interface and you might prefer their interface, but I don't know, like if you pay for a service, I feel like using their app is probably the best way to go. Good to know. That's just a good, like, like PSA. Yeah. Yeah. The more, you know, little rainbow, we got, we did the whole thing there. Okay. Now the letter, we're just going to move on. It's relentless. This is from Donnie. Uh, Donnie says, 
Uh, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway recently bought 69 million shares of Paramount Global, a potential sign that Buffett believes the company's performance will either improve or that they will be bought out. The first thing that comes to mind would be a merger with NBC Universal. I mentioned this last week. NBC Universal's parent company Comcast recently showed interest in spinning them off as a separate entertainment entity revealed in the fallout of a deal with EA. Together, the two companies would form a media entertainment conglomerate that would be big enough to take on the likes of Netflix, Disney, and Warner Brothers Discovery in the second phase of the streaming wars, similar to how Sprint and T-Mobile merged together to take on AT&T and Verizon. The difficulty surrounding such a merger would be getting around a law that prevents a company from owning two broadcasting stations, which is why we saw Disney let go of the Fox network in the 21st century acquisition. So my question is, do you see such a merger happening? And if so, how would the companies navigate the increasingly intense regulatory waters? Would love to hear your thoughts on this. Donnie, what do you think about this idea that we might see some uh, legacy broadcast titans uh, join forces in in a you know something that would have been unthinkable five years ago. So there's you know there's some there's some regulatory stuff they they'd have to figure out who well they you know, have to offload. sell off one of the broadcast networks just Gotta like the broadcast networks how Fox did not you know right like Fox didn't come Fox Fox's broadcast entity was not sold to Disney for the specific reason that they couldn't. I mean, here's the thing. So, so when when we when Berkshire Hathaway bought the shares, that was the first inclination from a lot of people was that he assumed there was going to be a merger. Also, you know, um, uh, I forget Summer Red. Uh, I forget her name. Is it? I can't. Anyways, the person who's in Sherry Sherry Redstone. Um, she has not tried to play coy about wanting to sell it or wanting to merge like she has been at every single you know billionaire conference or whatever like that happens she's there and there's conversations and so it's not too surprising if it were to happen it's kind of been written in the cards for many many years um but at the same time i do think there is this over inclination to just assume that warren buffett and his team saw a merger on the table and that's why they were going to do it i think if we look at the you know just again the financials for a company like paramount global um in terms of what they, in terms of their strategy to approaching streaming and to approaching theatrical and to approaching linear, I think they have a pretty healthy basis. The theatrical side, you know, they're what I think they're one of the only studios this year that has had like number one movies like across different genres. Like they had Maverick, they had Sonic. Like they're doing really, really well on the theatrical side compared to other studios. You know, take out Disney um, or really specifically take out Marvel. Um, if you look at the streaming side, they're growing at a pretty strong rate. The AVOD side, Pluto TV, is building up pretty fast. They've got you stronger daily active users. They've got the advertising pipeline coming in that's really strong. On the linear front, you know, they're still going to have football on Sunday. Or not Sundays. Uh, yeah, Sundays. They're still going to have a bunch of um, the, the news that their audience tends to be older and that audience, again, like we, Jason and I talked about this on other podcasts, like that audience is still there. It's declining, but it's still there. And I think they're making the transition to find the younger audience um, slow. It's slow going, but I think I think it is happening. So I think there's also just the sense that if we look at the economics of streaming, which are rapidly changing, which people are still rapidly trying to figure out, Paramount Plus is kind of in this nice sweet spot where the streaming side for the investment they're putting in is growing at the rate that is is good. And they're not overpromising, which is, you know, my number one complaint always with Disney on the, on the streaming side. They're saying, like, we're growing and we're going to find the audience and, and we're going to figure things out. We're going to figure out how to integrate Showtime. We're going to figure out how to have the best content. We're increasing our content spend. But also, we're going to continue licensing. We're going to continue licensing to Netflix because they're 
content on Netflix is extremely valuable to last episode's conversation about content valuation. Like there's, they can have those strong negotiations with Netflix and generate strong revenue and still only do like non-exclusive licensing. Like they can say like, you're going to have three seasons of iCarly or all that and we're going to take the rest over here and it's fine because we don't think that's going to necessarily cannibalize our audience, like that specific audience. Um, and But we also know you want that audience. And so I think there's potential for a merger always, 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 especially right now. It's a really good time to be a buyer if you have the money to be a buyer because everything is not necessarily cheap, but everything is cheaper than it was. That again, cheaper does not always mean a good value, but in the entertainment industry and in the media industry, potentially if you think the content is good and the assets are good and you have the money to buy, these companies are seeing their market cap drop steadily quarter after quarter, week after week. And so it's kind of a potential to say if you have the money, go in and buy it. But so I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. But I also think there was this way too fa- like fast of a push for everyone to go, well, a merger is about to happen. And I think it's like the business is relatively strong compared to other um, entertainment companies. And, and so, you know, it's not the flashiest. It's not the showiest. It's not the shiniest. But there is a stability to it that I think Bob Backish and his team have been really, really good about. That being said, if a merger happens in the next six months, I would be the first to say, like, sure. Like, like, again, Sherry Redstone has been talking about this for years. Like, that's that would that would that would seem right. right. Well, we'll see. Yeah, I, I nobody's buying yet, but you never know what might happen with Paramount. Their their Sherry Sherry Redstone is sort of like positioning herself and has been, but hasn't happened yet. That would be weird. It would be very weird and messy. But then again, the Disney Fox thing was weird and messy, and it happened anyway. So I'm not sure it'll happen again. We'll see. Uh, let's go go to the next letter. It's from Corey. Corey says, for good reason, you talk about the major players in the streaming space, but I always wonder about some of the smaller services, particularly specialty services. So I'm speaking about services such as Crunchyroll for anime, the Criterion Channel for classic art films, Shudder for horror fans. These smaller services are specialized, many times curated, and often at a lower price point than the big guys. Being at a smaller price, it's easy to add on one of these services as an additional source of entertainment, particularly Shudder, which I think is an unsung hero of the streaming this is a service curated by fans of the horror genre there is a new movie either an original or an exclusive just about every week and a good amount of original content can be good to excellent for $5.99 a month Crunchyroll is $7.99 but I believe it also offers all their anime content and library of manga Criterion is a little more pricey at $10.99 per month but that's not surprising since their product on the physical media side is also at a premium price they also provide a lot of their physical releases as well as huge uh, um, amount of films painstakingly restored that can be found nowhere else or would have been lost to the ages. Those smaller services, how about them, huh? Love to your mothers. Corey, what do you think about, I mean, we don't talk about it a lot because there's not as much drama there, but um, I love, I mean, I, I've also been a fan of Acorn and BritBox. I love a lot of the niche services because what's turned out is that the big guys really aren't interested in buying a big catalog. In, in most cases, amassing a big catalog of niche content because their sites are set, you know, larger. And yet there is value in saying horror fans can just sign up for Shudder or people who are fans of, of uh, British and uh, and European shows can can sign up for BritBox or, or Acorn or something like that. What do you think about the niche services? Yeah, I love niche. I also love Shudder. I love Crunchyroll. So I'm sure that we have similar tastes. Um, <laughs> I especially love Shudder. I think that service is like pound for pound, extremely, extremely great for what it does. Um, 
Yeah, the thing about the smaller streaming services is they are very, you know, specific. Like what they're trying to accomplish is not global domination. What they're trying to accomplish is finding the, you know, three to seven, eight million people who want to pay for horror and sci-fi content or want to pay for anime content. Um, And so they invest at that level. And so the thing about those businesses especially if they belong to larger companies, right? Because Shudder belongs to AMC. Um, Crunchyroll belongs to Sony now. Uh, like, the thing about those those businesses is that they do a very specific duty as a tentacle within those businesses. So you have AMC and they go, we have this product, we don't really spend a lot of money on it, it doesn't require much marketing, like, like it's, it's kind of exactly what it is. There's, like, very few acquisitions if we think about the comparison of the other, the big titans. titans. So to Jason's point, there isn't as much drama there isn't as much conversation about them because they're kind of you know not stable machines but they're they're going about their day like there's there's and there's something for everyone there's like um there was like there's like a tennis one like there's so many different ones but what are they trying to accomplish um isn't inherently interesting question but is it as interesting for our podcast about you know compared to netflix and hulu and the services that more people may have what are they trying to accomplish what does this mean for you i will say on the smaller niche side there's always this debate about once a year this debate pops up about whether or not niche streaming services have a future right this pops up all the time for a long time there was this idea that they could stand on their own and so you could have a shutter for example that was not owned by an amc and it would it would exist because it had low overhead costs and low investment, and they could have a team of like thirty people, forty people, and fifty people, and they could you know operate at that kind of at a startup level and and generate you know fifty, forty five, sixty, seventy five million dollars, and and it's fine. Like it like it works for what they're trying to do for that six to seven million dollars million subscriber base. Like like that's that that makes sense. I think as we go further down the line. The answer seeming less like that and more along the lines of um, almost like startups in tech where you become a startup in tech and you do something and all of a sudden Apple or Google are like, oh, I like that. We'll, we'll buy you for like three times what you're worth. Yeah. And then you're going to come work for us and then we're going to integrate, you know, part of the team. And then now we have that. And I think you'll see that happen in the, t- in the entertainment and media space as consolidation continues to occur, occur rather, and people um, – these companies realize they need a shutter or they want a Crunchyroll. If you think of Sony, like what Sony's whole plans are, Sony has an anime division, Sony has a gaming division, Sony is able to take part of the anime and throw it on PlayStation Plus or take some some of the games and make anime based it for Crunchyroll and develop it. Like there's these niche streaming services op can can offer a lot to to the larger players. If the, the tennis streaming service gets acquired by ESPN Plus, like, like there's just certain things that they could do. Um that makes sense for them more so than makes sense for the standalone streaming services. But that being said, as long as they're profitable or as long as they're running strong revenue and they're, there's not too much competition for that specific niche and they're happy doing what they're doing on their own. The thing about stand, like smaller niche streaming services is that they'll continue to operate as long as that very, very focused demand is there. I mean, that's like business 101. That's like, as long as you have that focused demand, you lean into that focused demand, you don't try to expand on it. Like you're going to have that really focused audience and you can figure out what your overhead cost is to ensure that your profit is there. And that way you can c- keep a sustainable business. I just think those make more sense to a larger company who's trying to figure out how to expand into those ex- those same niche audiences. And so they spend 
tr- double what that small startup is worth, which is effectively nothing to these companies, these larger companies, and then they acquire and then they acquire, you know, 2 million subscribers. And that means more to them than, than the double of the valuation that they spend on whatever it might be. So I think that's what you'll see happen quite a bit more. It just makes more sense for the larger companies to not try and compete with the niche offering. If it's a sizable niche, if it's 2 million subscribers, they would rather just have those 2 million subscribers. Right. I think the challenge there is that, you know, do you always, this is the case, when something gets swallowed by a larger thing, like, is its is its personality lost? Um, usually that is the case. Do you lose the value of it? Like, if, if, if somebody, if, you know, right. I, I don't even know who, somebody just swallows Shutter whole and says, well, we've added it to Peacock now, let's say. Right. And there's a, there's a Shutter section or a horror section inside Peacock. Um, and... Uh, it's still got all the content, but like, there's a question of like, is it still curated? Uh, do they still make the effort to do the originals or does it all just end up being a library thing and, and, uh, it loses what's special about it. If you're a fan of shutter, that would be terrible. Um, at the same time, if, you know, and you would have to pay for Peacock, which is going to be more expensive than what you're paying for Shutter. Although you do get all the other Peacock stuff, I you know, right? They can screw this up, but it doesn't won't necessarily stop them from doing it anyway. Like the, I mean, like the WWE, right? Peacock, yeah, that's Peacock true. took in WWE, and that's it was true. their their proposition value. Because I think you're right. There was a lot of concern amongst WWE people who were like, I just don't want to go into this platform for this one thing I want. And NBC's proposition was. Yeah, we're going to have access to all this other stuff. Like, you're going to be able... And so I think there's... You know, it was was funny. We were talking about a few minutes ago about channel offerings, and there was a report from Bloomberg this week that... um, From Lucas Shaw that HBO... (laughs) Warner Brothers Discovery is going to bring HBO Max back to Amazon channels. Like, they're going to try and go get those those lost 5 million subscribers. And Hmm. I think there is... You know, I think they might get 4 million, 3.5 million, but there's probably a decent number of subscribers that when it was removed from Amazon channels... Didn't even realize they were paying for it. Didn't care for it anymore. And we're kind of like, well, I'm not going to sign up for it now that it's back. And so I think with the with a service like a like a Shutter, if you have a let's say Peacock, let's use your example. If Peacock acquires Shutter, I think they you know they probably lose a portion of that audience for sure. Who are like, you know, I don't want this. Like it's fine. I wasn't really using it. But I think for your dedicated subscribers who just know, as long as the Peacock team let that Shutter be fun- like team be functional and independent. As long as it's like, hey, you get to keep your budget. In fact, we'll increase your budget. Go out and acquire some new titles go out and go out and, and we're going to figure out how to give you the homepage, and we're going to do all this fun, fun stuff if you're a hardcore user of shutter or just an engaged user which i would argue most subscribers to niche platforms are the vast majority are probably going to stick with it because they just want access to that content there's probably a little bit extra investment because the team right. you know peacock wants that subscriber base it doesn't want it to take it and then all and then dismantle it um but there is to your exact point there is that concern always of like does it go yeah. away because people don't want up. to be on this platform right I would also uh, mention uh, to add on to Corey's point, we also don't talk as much about free ad supported uh, TV, but the fast channels are everywhere and growing and there's, you know, Freevee and Pluto TV and they're like, there are, there are a bunch of them. And that that's another place where we don't talk because it's not kind of like the, the biggest money and it's not the coolest uh, place to be. But there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in that area too. So we'll, we'll, I think we'll try to talk about that a little bit more in the future as well. Like there was a, a recently an announcement that they're doing a Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune yeah. channels on Pluto TV, and it's it's a really interesting thing. Where I mean, Sony experimented with because uh, Sony owns those. Uh, Sony experimented with doing 
Jeopardy selected episodes on Netflix, which was interesting. I think it's fascinating, though, that they've decided that they're going to pull episodes out of the Jeopardy archive and the Wheel of Fortune archive and put them on their own channel on Pluto TV because... You know, it doesn't have to be an exclusive there, but in some cases, the stuff that's on this ad-supported uh, linear, basically, is um, is exclusive. It isn't anywhere else. I think a bunch of old um, cop shows fell off of Peacock and are are only going to be on ad-supported streaming now. So, um, you super know, it, smart. That's like right? the exact type of show I would take and throw on fast, <laughs> like. Right, the Rockford Files. You put that yep. on there, and people—that's what people put on the background all day. Like it's what, yeah, yeah. I would throw that on fast in a heartbeat. Yeah, so that that's another thing for us to to maybe spend a little more time on the niche services and also the 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 fast stuff because it's it's a just a different area, but it's actually really interesting in terms of it feels to me actually a lot like the earliest days of streaming services where it's sort of like this is. Like nobody really knows quite what the right thing to do is and everybody's still trying to figure it out. And I don't know, fast feels like that sometimes to me of like, what is this? Like we thought we thought streaming was going to be this, but it turns out maybe it's also this uh, totally different thing. So it's fascinating. Um, okay, sports corner. We're back with some a sports corner letter, sort of, I would argue not. This is from Nayan, who is not named Nathan, although I thought that for a minute because of the subject of the letter, but it's Nayan. Uh a long-time listener, first-time emailer, quick sports corner question in honor of the 4th of July. Uh, with ESPN's contact for the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest set to end in 2024, how fierce do you think the bidding war will be for those rights? I know it's no Super Bowl, but do you see potential for a nine-figure annual deal given the rise in prices for sporting rights deals? On a more near serious note, do you see anyone other than ESPN even bidding for those rights? Well, you know, I, I knew it was inevitable we would get the hot dog question. <laughs> Did you guys, did you watch when they compared Joey Chestnut to uh, uh, Raphael Nadal? No. <laughs> they put up like a sign because I watch it every year and they were like single, the most amount of championships won in a single like uh, event or whatever, single sport. And it was like Joey Chestnut and Raphael Nadal. And then when yep. Nadal got the this, when, when he got hurt and he was out, everyone on Twitter was like, Joey Chestnut beat Nadal. <laughs> <laughs> This is a, I mean, is it a sport? I don't know, but, uh, but it's a thing and it's on ESPN on the 4th of July. And, uh, if I take this ridiculous letter seriously for a minute, I mean, I'm sure other outlets see some value in this, this thing that people watch on the 4th of July, um, wh- whether it's more than ESPN and whether there's another place that would be as strong a platform for it as espn since it's espn right like there's there's value in it just on on the pure fact that espn knows what its audience is and the audience knows what the hot dog eating contest is and so they uh i what it struck me this when i saw this letter was it struck me that the um the national spelling bee went was which was on espn and abc for years uh Mm -hmm. and it wasn't this year and it moved to Ion, which is EW Scripps's own network. Yeah. And I I remember seeing this and thinking, I don't even know what Ion is, and I have a podcast about media. <laughs> I, I and it's a I believe Ion is a renamed cable channel owned by EW Scripps. It used to be something else, now it's Ion. I, I you know, if it's not that, I, I almost don't want to know. 
because uh, I, I kind of don't care. But it was one of those moments where I thought, okay, the power of my... I'm interested in the spelling bee, but the habit of going to ESPN is so powerful. And I, I saw that it was on Ion, and I'm like, well, I don't know what that is, and I don't care, and I just didn't watch it. So I think that's the risk. I mean, again, Scripps kind of owns the spelling bee, so they're just putting it on their own air, and I guess that's their business decision. But if I were if I were the hot dog eating contest and whoever, whatever weird company owns that, I would be wary of leaving ESPN because ESPN yeah. gives you such a great platform for your thing and helps create the value of it. What I could almost see potentially happening, but yeah, like I, I don't have much to add. I think Jason answered it beautifully. I, the only thing I could maybe see happening is divvying up the digital rights and saying like Twitter buys the live stream. Remember when Twitter used to buy live streaming rights oh, and yeah. stuff and then you would just live stream it? I could see that because I think the people who watch the hot dog eating contest, myself included every year, um, is – like it's a pretty good split between people who have access to that very specific ESPN channel. Like it's people, <laughs> it's like it's not even ESPN. It's like ESPN three or whatever. Like for an hour, like people have access to the ESPN channel at home. They're going to be slightly older. I would imagine that household income is slightly higher, and so they have access to the whole cable bundle, and so they're they're odd, they're there, and it's great. But I also think there's like this meme worthy audience that's like, I would watch this for thirty minutes, like on the beach when I'm out for the Fourth of July, like whatever. Right. And so someone like Instagram, someone like TikTok, even someone like Twitter coming along and kind of saying, we'll buy, you know, for like a a, a, subsidi- a subsidized price, like we'll buy the digital rights to this one event every year. Like I could see that happening. Like it doesn't have to go to, I wouldn't, I can't see it going to a, a streaming service because it doesn't make sense because it's once a year. Yeah. You know, maybe if there's a, a a competitive eating streaming service, I'm sure there is one. I didn't competitive eating it, league or something with the rights. Yeah, that, like that, that might make sense together. for them. And then they, you know, once a year they get this influx in traffic. But I do think to Jason's point, it's so ingrained ESPN that that audience who even wants to watch the, the hot dog eating contest knows it's on ESPN. And the other ones who don't are on apps like TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. And so if it's promoted to them, they might actually tune in and turn it into content, which is great for like the engagement for those those platforms. Um, and so that which they then say like our daily activities here, blah, 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 blah. And so I think that I could see happening. But yeah, fully agree, Jason. It just doesn't make sense for it to move at this point. I have some updates. Ion, I did look it up. Ion used to be PAX TV, so it's actually a broadcast channel. Um, PAX TV, if you don't remember, was like your kind of like fifth channel in your market might be some sort of way up on the UHF, might uh, be a PAX TV channel, which was a family channel created by Paxton, the guy who created Home Shopping Network. It was sort of... I don't want to say it was sort of Christian programming because that's not entirely true, but it was family friendly, and so it was very, very much a kind of like old shows and family shows and some Christian content. And it was super obscure. It got rebranded into something called I, it got bought by scripts who turned it into Ion. So it's actually a broadcast channel in a lot of markets and that's where it is UHF channels. And then they also tried to offer it nationally on like a direct TV and things like that. Weird place to put the spelling bee in my opinion. Uh, because I didn't watch it and I don't know if I'm going to seek out Ion just to watch the spelling bee. So that's the, the danger there. Uh, related, you mentioned ESPN three related sports corner thing while we're, while we're answering this letter and, and going off on tangents. I just wanted to mention this. I had an experience last week with trying to watch, sorry, several weeks ago, because <laughs> we are banking this one watching Wimbledon and I wanted to watch it and I opened the ESPN app 
because even though I have Fubo TV, which has ESPN, um, I I thought, well, I'll just go to the ESPN app because the ESPN app will have all the different matches, not just what's on ESPN. And I could just say, lock it into this match and that's fine. And, you know, all those international broadcast deals are different. And in this case, it was more like the Olympics where there was sort of an international feed of each match with different announcers because ESPN wasn't running the, the broadcast feed. Um, and And as a part of this process, I discovered something hilarious, which is... Okay, ESPN. They have ESPN and ESPN2 and ESPN News. They have their their mm-hmm. their channels. Mm-hmm. Those in the ESPN app are only available if you verify through your cable provider or through an M- VMPVD like Fubo TV or YouTube or TV or or Hulu Plus, etc. Okay. They have ESPN Plus, which is a streaming service. That has different content. You can watch that whether you have cable or not. You have to pay extra for it. If you have cable, you don't get ESPN Plus. You have to pay for it. If you have ESPN on cable, um, you can only you can only watch that on ESPN app if you have cable. Otherwise, you don't get it. I was like, okay, that's a little confusing, but you can kind of get it. Like the stuff that's on TV, you have to have a TV subscription to get. The stuff that's on ESPN Plus, you have to have an ESPN Plus subscription to get. Okay, with me so far? ESPN 3... <laughs> which sounds like it's a cable channel is actually something that predates ESPN plus and it's the overflow streaming extra thingy that ESPN created and put in their deal with cable providers and the idea there is there was stuff that they wanted to put on streaming that is part of their deal with cable providers so basically cable providers kick in a little more money and they provide extra value to their subscribers in the form of ESPN3, which is like supplemental content on the internet. Wild. Which is very like an old school thing. They wouldn't do those deals now, I think. They would just put it on ESPN+. Plus. But those deals remain. So what I found when I was trying to stream Wimbledon is that the Wimbledon extra content was not on ESPN+, Plus, but on ESPN3. And since I hadn't logged into ESPN on my account, I had to go and verify that I was a Fubo subscriber again and do the whole rigmarole to get it. And I thought, how would I have explained this to a family member of mine of like, well, they say it's on and I ha- I'm paying for ESPN plus, but I, I don't see, I don't get it. It says it's on ESPN three, but uh, is that a channel? I'm like, no, it's streaming. It's like, well, but, but it says I have to have a channel in order to get it. It's like, yeah. Well, and it was just a, a funny moment where I realized that that's ridiculous. <laughs> there exists both ESPN3 and ESPN Plus, and you don't, and they're both streaming services, sort of, and they're both in the ESPN app, but you only get one if you're paying, even though it's a streaming service, you only get it if you're paying for cable or equivalent. And then the other one is, is different. What a mess. Ugh, terrible. That's I, I, incredible. I, I'm speechless about that. I, I, I just have to assume there's a contract. I was talking to my wife about it because she's like, why is it like that? And I said, uh, my best guess is that they have a contract uh, with cable providers that includes certain content that is on ESPN3 and Wimbledon is on the list, basically. And they're, they're, or, or their contract with Wimbledon means they can't put it on on a streaming service, but they can put it on their streaming extension of cable. But somewhere there is a contract somewhere because I'm sure that ESPN and Disney would much rather that they have a great Wimbledon experience inside of ESPN plus, but it's not there. 
wild. It's on this weird thing that I think of ESPN3 as a website. That's how old it is, right? I think of it as, oh, it's not on TV. You have to go to a web page and watch it. Um, but it's still alive, apparently, and was showing tennis not too long ago. I don't get it. <laughs> that was incredible. Right. That might have been my favorite sports corner to date. Uh well, I mean, we'll see. There'll be something else weird that happens in sports that we'll have to talk about. But yeah, we covered a lot there from hot dogs to ESPN3. So let's move on to another letter. This letter is from Tyler. Tyler says, I have a semi-serious question about streaming show lengths. In the context of Stranger Things season four, would Netflix ever consider putting out seasons as one very long episode or movie with all the episodes over an hour, most hitting an hour and a half and one two and a half hour episode? I personally need to stop and resume most of them at least once and finish Mm -hmm. later in the day. At that point, if there are no natural episode breaks, why not just stitch the whole eight hour season together and people will pause and resume as needed? I know there are contracts and legal reasons. Yep. Why this might not happen, but I'm curious curious if you have any thoughts on a streaming service putting out one long show for people to binge either as an extra or once all the episodes are are out thanks tyler i have to laugh at this because this is the ultimate extension of that thing that the tv critic alan sepinwall always rails about which is when somebody stands up on stage at a presentation somewhere and says well actually it's more of an eight-hour movie (laughs) it's like okay and every tv critic loses their mind try it make it an eight-hour movie and see what people do i i imagine part of this is contracts but part of it is just the psychology that it's way more intimidating to have an eight-hour yeah. movie in your queue than it is to have episodes where there's a natural end yeah point people if you wouldn't can sit down get there they wouldn't sit down and watch right? it right nobody would watch the eight-hour movie of stranger things right although it does it does bring up the question then why is it an hour and a half long episode too could that be two 45-minute episodes instead i yeah we're in this moment where so my, my what i hope they do by the way with the next season if they end up doing that weird break again like what they do for the season it was seven and two seven episodes in the final two um and the last episode was two and a half hours it was like why wouldn't you just put that out as a movie why like and, and it don't just be a movie i mean why right. don't you sorry why don't you put it out in a theater for two to three weeks and have people go oh, yeah, and experience yeah. it the way they would a marvel movie because that's what i did i had friends over it was a whole thing we had a stranger things night um and then have that you know that that excitement build up if you have event tv treat it like an event so i hope they do that next season but also right there's the contracts my guess is that they cheaped out because they would have had to renegotiate contracts if yeah. it was a movie instead of a, an episode of a tv show and also right? i mean i think just for them the idea of going to theatrical with the stranger things doesn't make any sense when they want to <laughs> ensure that they can boast about their numbers for stranger things but i yeah. also think that <laughs> the to the opposite end of your question tyler there is this terrible um, affliction happening right now in the television space on streaming which is that no one thinks they need an editor and everyone needs an editor like a hundred percent and there's i'm watching these episodes of stranger things and i'm like first of all there's one arc with hopper that no spoilers that's absolutely useless the whole ep- the whole arc is terrible and i didn't care for it but also you can make these hour-long episodes there's no reason they have to be 75 minutes 80 minutes there's like there's no reason that has to happen but because and jason i've talked about this on po- past episodes of the of the podcast because there's freedom and there's this and also the idea that netflix you know loves the idea if you think of nielsen you think about the minutes watched the idea that the show is like three times longer than every other show out there helps them get more nielsen minutes and they get to say like we had all these people watch this many hours of content um like it's there's this weird strategy around like we'll just have the show be longer or just like we'll we'll if they want to do it we'll let them do it 
And the sense of it is like, don't just make them hour long episodes. If you're going to have a two and a half hour thing, treat it like an event, release it by itself, either on the platform or in theaters and like have that be its own standalone situation. Because I'm with you. I would sit down for a show and I'd be like, I have maybe, you know, 45 minutes, an hour in me, which is like typical of a, of a show. And I would go to start stranger yeah. things. And it would be like 85 minutes. I'm like, I don't have, it's only 25 right. minute difference, but I'm like, I don't want to do an hour and a half. Like. I want the I want the creative people to break it up into blocks so I can have a good place to stop instead of like have you ever done where you're watching a movie and you're like I gotta go to the bathroom yeah. and you pause it and you come back and it's literally twenty seconds <laughs> and then there's a huge scene break and you're like oh I, I guess I should have waited thirty seconds but you don't know like that 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 is on an extreme level that's what's going on with like episode breaks at least there's a chapter marker for us to know oh like I can't read a chapter. And it'll be, or in this case, watch a chapter and it'll be 40 minutes long and I can do that. And like, that's, that's good. That's accomplishable. Um, yeah, that would be nice. Whereas if it's two hours, you're like, uh, do I want to commit to two hours? Well, I can't. Do I want to watch part of it? Maybe like, don't make me think, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just let me press play. That's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but contracts. I think it's the other story here is that a lot of this, this is uh, my mind was opened about this when I read about animation series contracts, because the people who work in animation writers who work in animation get a, are governed by a different deal than, um, for lots of legacy reasons than the WGA deal that other writers are in. They're in a, a, I think a different union and they're under a different contract and they are paid poorly, which is uh, difficult now because a lot of the writers rooms, like there was a perception at the time that it was like cheap animation for kids, for cable TV and all of that, which I think I, I would argue writing is writing um, and, and that paying them less is not necessarily the right way to approach it anyway. But certainly now there are a lot of things that are, are essentially for adults and uh important parts of streaming services and are still paid at the at the cheap animation rate but the thing that really blew me away is that most animation is done in these 20 episode blocks these days these giant or 40 episode blocks and what they do is they call it a season because it saves them money because they don't have to pay people for multiple seasons of work so instead of saying we're going to pay you for four 10 episode seasons we're going to pay you for one 40 episode season and it means we pay you less maybe not a quarter but we pay you less as a writer on that and it's that's awful that's like legitimately awful oh yeah but i think that 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 is what's going on with a lot of this stuff so when people say well why is stranger things like this my first reaction is yes i know stranger thing is incredibly important to netflix and their relationships with the people involved in Stranger Things are incredibly important, but I'll tell you the reason is they don't want to pay those people more. Yeah, I mean, if, if that's it. Yeah, if, if if listeners want to look into something truly uh, heartbreaking, and also what will end up being the crux of what shuts down Hollywood again, like it did in two thousand and what was the writer strike seven uh, in two thousand eight? Um, look into the labor practices with how shows are operated now with streaming services specifically, yeah. like how they. Like they're so how they, over- how they staff the writers room, how they're and- paid. Everyone is so overworked and underpaid. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's approaching that point. It's approaching the it's, it, it's been at that boiling point, And now the unions are very much like, hmm. <laughs> well, and we're also going to get at the point now if 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 the peak TV era is waning and there are going to be fewer jobs out there. We're also going to get to the point where people who were 
overworked, but we're able to make it work by ha- taking lots of jobs, right? I'm on this show for 10 episodes, but then I'm going to go on this show for 10 episodes. But now that everything's not 22 episodes a year, but it's 10 episodes a year, so people need multiple jobs. Okay. And then we cut the number of TV shows from the peak where it is now. Like, there are people who are not going to be able to make a living anymore. So the only options there are going to be pay them so they can make a living or we're going to have trouble. So yeah. I guess we'll I guess we'll see. Thank you to uh to to Tyler. It's really in more of an 8-hour movie. I love it. I love it. One more letter. This is from Zach. Um oh no, actually this is a this is a trio of quick hits. This is our lightning round at the end of this. Love it. It's three three of them from the Discord. Really become a Relay FM member and ask questions in the Discord with a question mark uh, asked downstream. Uh this is from Zach. Quick hit. Lightning round number one of three. You've spoken a little bit about release days and times, but I remain perplexed why so many of these services think midnight Pacific or 3 a.m. Eastern is a reasonable release time. I adore that Apple TV Plus puts their Friday shows out at 9 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays and wish more services would follow their lead. Could release time become a more valuable metric in the future or will super fans forever be stuck staying up late to catch the next episode? What do you think about release times? This was my one of my favorites, by the way. I, I, I this drives me crazy. What do you think? I think that, like we see with experimentation with release methods and everything, I don't see a reason why they couldn't experiment with times to see if they're if it generates stronger response and then they can lean into that. I also know with bigger shows, they prefer the midnight PT time in part because there are less people. So when they put them out, there's not this like it crashes. You remember what happened with Disney Plus at like at three in the morning and it would just go down and it was like Game, Game of Thrones, right? On HBO Game of Thrones. now. Like right? it's, it's a whole thing where it, there's there's this aspect of like, first of all, they like to kind of they, they do it, people who stay up and they watch it. So there's that inherent demand and also they lean into it and then people wake up and they can watch it. And because they're not tied to a specific that time slot, they can just say you can watch it whenever you want to watch it. Um, I think what they miss out from that and what you're kind of talking about, Zach, is this idea of the conversation buzzworthiness. Like yeah. if a show comes out at 9 p.m. on a Sunday, like Game of Thrones style, event. by 10 p.m. people could talk about it. Then you get people well, – remember back in the day on the West Coast, they used to do it differently. It was still 9 p.m. West Coast and then people oh, got really upset because uh, it was getting spoiled. So they yeah, finally did 6 p.m. There. West Coast, 9 p.m. Eastern and – um, mm-hmm. I, they, they, like like the way that that changed, the way that they were like, and with that snell, they changed it too. So it's eleven thirty p.m. um and eight thirty p.m. Like it goes, it goes right. live on both. It's they like they could do it. They've experimented with it before. I don't see why they couldn't now. But I also think it doesn't harm them. Like they're not l- losing out on conversation because something isn't happening at nine p.m. They're just seeing it happen the following day. Um, I, but I mean, at that point, at that said. The beauty of this industry is that there's always room for experimentation, especially when it's so new as it is right now. And so if we do see that, I kind of want to see it too. I would love to watch something at you know 9 p.m. again. I remember the last yeah. time I watched something that wasn't HBO at like 9 p.m. Right. I I am I endorse this plan, uh, Zach. I the um the Star Trek dropping at 11 p.m. Pacific. It's like bleh. Like I, I watched several Star Trek episodes at 11 p.m. and uh, I don't, I, I just, yeah, it, prime time is prime time. Put it on at nine Eastern is a great time, right? Because it's prime time for the East Coast and it's just before prime viewing time for the West Coast. So if you're in the U.S. anyway, it, it's going to make you real happy. I heard from somebody at one point who theorized that the reason they do it when they do is because it basically allows them to say the whole world gets it Friday. 
um, and it simplifies their marketing and it simplifies a whole lot of other things because they just say the day it comes out. And and if you're releasing it worldwide, uh, placing it at midnight Pacific is actually a perfect time because then it's it's the same day worldwide, yeah. just at a different time. But I don't know if that's a good enough reason to, um, especially if you're a you know U.S. based service and your best market is maybe in the U.S. and maybe having it be a 9 p.m. Eastern drop is the is the way to go. We'll see. But for now, super fans, uh, make some coffee. Stay up late. Um, lightning round number two is from Matt, also from the member Discord. How do you feel about getting shows or movies off the back of a truck in the age of endless subscriptions and price hikes? Do you think the media companies might eventually push the number and price tag of streaming subscriptions so far that pirates become a more major player in the streaming wars? I mean, are, are they not already? I feel like we're already there. That this is a push and pull between people who download stuff, uh, you know, pirate shows versus paying for them. Like, I, I mean, that's been there since the beginning. And I feel like, I mean, I, I guess the more there are and the more expensive it all is, the more there will be, right? There's always a, I, I feel like it's kind of a continuum that there will always be some piracy and then it will increase if availability is limited and if prices um if prices go up i feel like availability is actually the bigger thing which is like if a show like i have people in the uk who've been watching star trek week by week and like they just launched paramount plus in the uk they weren't able to do that before but somehow they managed it right because of availability but but i think price is part of availability because in the end if you just not if you just feel like you can't afford all these streaming services um that's another thing that might push you to find a download and get that file another way. Yeah, I mean, it was funny. So the company that I work for, Paired Analytics, the majority of our company is actually based in New Zealand. They're in Auckland. And this was a conversation I was having with my boss. And we were talking about piracy. And um, it, it was really interesting to kind of think about how we approach the thought of, to Jason's point right now, the, the thought of piracy from a US-based perspective versus others. And the reason I bring it up is because my boss was like, yeah, man, like Game of Thrones and like all these other movies, like we weren't getting, like we just weren't getting them. Like it just wasn't a thing or we were getting them like months later. And so it was like, I wasn't going to wait for months yeah. when it's 20, you know, 19, 20, 2018, like whenever Game of Thrones ended. And Twitter is a thing and push notifications and Facebook and Instagram. And people are out and talking about it. And my friends in the US are talking about it because we're a globalized uh, world, like a globe. Um, and so I think about, to Jason's point, you know, piracy is always going to exist, especially in international markets, just because the U.S. has an, a, a, a luxurious amount of content available to us at the snap of a finger. That is not true for everyone else. Um, and because these co- the majority of entertainment companies are U.S. based and U.S. focused, that's still the primary market. So that's the first the first release market for the most part. And so therefore, the piracy exists internationally because they're trying to keep up with the release schedule of the states. But also, I think there's also the you know, we talk about this a lot in the podcast, the, the, the perceived value of a subscription really plays hand in hand to Jason's point about availability and like accessibility. It's this idea of like, if we think about HBO Max or Netflix or Hulu, I mean, they have churn rates, but they're not, well, Netflix just grew, but before this, like they weren't super high. Uh, and part of that was because like, People were signing up and they were pretty happy with what was there and they didn't want to necessarily go and pirate all these different shows if they could just pay for the service and it was available. And also it was like they were getting their money's worth. Like they were like, okay, if I'm going to pay for two services, like I'm really getting my money's worth out of, I don't know, HBO Max and Netflix. But like what we're just talking about 
um, whether it was on the last podcast or this podcast, I can't remember exactly. But, you know, what is like the inherent – oh, the last podcast. You know, what is the inherent value of Apple TV Plus as a platform, like as a subscription versus like what is the value of watching those shows, right? So if you're someone who doesn't want to pay for Apple TV Plus because – you don't really care. You're not in the Apple One bundle. Like you're not, you might not even be like an iPhone user, like an Apple, you're not an Apple person. And all of a sudden there's these great shows you want to watch, like Severance just got nominated for Best Drama. So you're like, I really want to check that out. I want to watch Pachinko. I want to watch Ted Lasso. There's a better, a bigger probability of you pirating that because you're not like, I don't want to pay for the service. I don't want to go through the hassle of giving them my credit card information and and canceling and just to watch one show. But there's these really, really app piracy, you know, services that are designed like streaming services. I mean, a big one, I know that the Plex, yeah. the Plex executives have always gone back and forth and they, they hate this description of them. And I, I understand that. But like Plex, right? How many people do you, do we know that like, or I'll speak for myself, like, that I know who use Plex as a way to just have pirated content. And, and, it, and it's like, in UI wise, it's a streaming service. You log in and it's there. Yeah. There's, there's apps that you use that are subscribed to, I think it's Usenet news groups. Um, but there are other, you know, mm-hmm. a BitTorrent clients and all that. And all they do is they download, auto-download stuff and put it in a Plex library, right? And it's not really Plex doing the work, but it, the net result is that you can build your own streaming service. And I, yes, I'll go to visit friends' Plex libraries and I'll be like, oh, that's interesting. Like that, that, that movie isn't out yet or or that TV show is on a streaming service and not available for download. And yet here it is. Um, and that's just that that's it's all I feel like it's always been part of yeah. it and then a lot of people age out of piracy yeah. um, pe- some people are always going to pirate everything yeah. um, I wanted to provide some advice which is first off almost everybody does a free trial yeah uh, and so classic thing is like Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds just ended and it's like uh, 10 episodes it was really great if you want to see it guess what there's probably a Paramount Plus cheap or free trial that you can do and you could binge it and then you can be done and uh, use a different Gmail account I guess to try it next time and then the other thing is password sharing which we've talked about here before which is another thing that is a, a way that some of the the, I mean, the pressure the of, the, of, the, yeah. of the cost happens right is is I know families and friend groups who are like I'm going to do Disney you do you do Peacock and then they swap passwords and they're they're doing it and that that's way. The, and that's, and that's a real the bigger thing. issue to these executives like it's not even that piracy exists which they've had to contend with for i mean how long now jason two decades to like two like two, yeah. 25 I mean, years like yeah, it's not forever forever like and people were burning beaches like this is not new for them but the password sharing where they can then monitor ip location like where that where the stuff where they're like okay we can people want to use our platform like they're finding value in the platform and but they're just not paying for it like if we offer them a discounted price you know the netflix thing if we get offer them discounted price can we get them that that's a bigger issue for them is the password sharing aspect because it's blatant piracy, right? It is very much like yeah. I, they can see that you're pirating it and they're like, well, it's fine. But now in a market with actual competition and not just Netflix dominance, like that will be the bigger issue is like, hey, how many people are getting Netflix for free? How many, how many potential lost bit, you know, billions is that for us? Um, and then how do we crack down on it? Because they're not going to be able to stop the pirates. Like that the, the happens. The, the, they can't stop it. But I think Jason had a really good phrase. People tend to age out of it. And by age out, it means that they tend to get a little bit wealthier. And so they have the money, they have disposable income. And so they can go like, oh, I'd rather just pay for it because they have the, the money, the means to do so. And so it's a, it tends to be a younger person's game. Um, and so that's always going to be the case. Like that's just always going to exist and the technology is getting better. Uh, but the, the password sharing they can crack down on. And so I think that's where you're going to see them focus on piracy when they talk about it. Okay, Ryan 
uh, with our last lightning round question and our last question. Uh, at what point do franchises become diminishing returns? Something that's been mentioned on the podcast a fair bit is how Netflix doesn't have many franchises and how that's not great for their strategy. But with services like Disney Plus and Paramount Plus focusing so much on existing franchises, my gut reaction is how is this viable in the long term? Tastes and trends change, and I feel like putting so many eggs in the franchise basket may not be a great long term strategy. Love to your mothers, Ryan. Uh, what what do you think? Is there a is there a a downside to relying on franchises? You know, I'm currently writing this this thing that's um, kind of all about. We did I I pulled some data on the demand share for franchise programming films and television on platforms against the audience demographic of those platforms, and that will come out in the next few weeks. But here's what I will say about. First of all, we have to categorize franchises, right? Like, so there's the MCU and Star Wars. And that's like, that's the, what we think of as franchise. But there's also like on, on the television front, there's like, like RuPaul, and like CSI, like those are franchises for the networks. Like that's like they have, yeah. they do different things and they bring in, you know, if we think about what makes up a franchise, like there's characters that span different worlds. Like they, like they, they, they lean into that too. So if we think about, I'm going to take from your question, just kind of looking at you at Ryan, you saying like MCU and Star Wars and Star Trek, you know. How viable is it long term? Here's the answer to that. One, it's still viable because they're still going to keep that core audience coming in. They still want to and and also remember these are um uh connecting tissue to the to the movies, right? To the merchandise. Like they have to they're they're putting it in to keep the wheel spinning. Um, but also because there's an audience who is hungry for it and will pay for it. But two, better to, for them to have it and have that as a competitive advantage than to not have it. Because otherwise you're Netflix. Right. And you're trying to find it. You're like, I just want one of these. I want a DC. I want a Marvel. I want a, a Star Trek. I want a Harry Potter. I want a whatever, a, a Bratz doll universe. Like I want something that can compete with it. Now, is it going to reach the 300 million, 500 million, a billion subscriber scale with just franchise? Absolutely not. And we know that because every single executive has said that. And also there's research that proves that. Like at some point you hit your full capacity on who's interested in Marvel and Star Wars shows. And you know, some of them yeah. will die out eventually and new ones will come in. But it's like, it's it, there's, a, there's a, a, a set number of people there, which is why you have someone like Disney investing into 450 different uh, international TV shows as they try to scale that are going to be general entertainment based. It's why you have uh, Warner Brothers looking outside of DC, right, to figure out like, how can we do stuff that, you know, an HBO looking outside of DC to figure out how to do it. But those are still cornerstones. And you have to have your cornerstone for streaming service. Because you think about Disney Plus and the 130 million subscribers that they have, like, if we assume that 100 million of those subscribers are specifically interested in Star Wars and Marvel and um, princesses and whatever else their franchises might be, eventually like, that's still their solid base. It's the, the diminishing return is on the growth. It's not on the actual profit. So the growth side of it comes from them investing in the general entertainment. But no, I think you you need those franchise pillars, again, just to stay competitive, but to also right. feed that audience and to feed the greater ecosystem. You want kids to go to theme parks and wear shirts and go to more movies. You know how you keep them entertained? You give them a TV show. And it helps I, and it I, helps. I was uh, gonna say to Ryan as well. Think of think of a franchise as a hit TV show, right? Like you can't make a hit TV show; they happen, yeah. but sometimes they don't happen, and it's like you can't you can't control it. But if you can turn it into a franchise, like people will come to your streaming service potentially, um, unless they're pirating it. But that's another question. People will come to your streaming service because they hear about a a show and like Ted Lasso, and people are like, oh. 
boy, everybody loves Ted Lasso. I guess I'm going to sign up for the Apple thing so that I can watch Ted Lasso. Um, but Ted Lasso is not a franchise, right? So then the next one, it's like, oh, there's this other show. It's Hacks. I'm going to go sign up for HBO Max and I'm going to watch Hacks. A franchise, think of it as the same thing, except it goes on forever. Like, that's the beauty of it. And then they often start with a hit show, but then they become something else. So they start with movies that are hits. And like, there's huge value in that and huge value in having a return, a, 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 an annuity. Um, people will go to like, I'll, I'll talk about myself. I'm a lifelong Star Trek fan. I'm not, not going to pay for Paramount plus. I'm just not because they, ha- they have Star Trek and nobody else can have Star Trek. Different streaming services can have different one-off TV shows, but nobody else can have Star Trek. Nobody else can have Star Wars. Nobody else can have Marvel. And there's power in that. Um, in, in, in tying you to a brand that you might otherwise be more of a free agent about. So, so, but I agree with Ryan, like it's worth pointing out and, and you said this, look, you can't build just a franchise by itself, but franchises are an important part of the whole. They have value for locking in part of your audience. Everybody wants them. Right. The bottom line is everybody wants them. And can a franchise die? Yes. Can something that you looks like a franchise turn out not to be a franchise? Totally. We talked about Harry Potter here. That is some a franchise that may be kind of like at its low ebb. It may be fading away. We don't know. James Cameron is busy trying to make Avatar a franchise. Still hasn't happened. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. Like there are lots of things that are like is this a franchise or not? But if you can get it, like it's worth exploring it because it's so valuable if you do get it, but it's not everything, but it's something and it is important. So I think it's wise to like, I, I think what Ryan's getting at here is like, uh, franchises is like, is that all there is? I was like, well, if that's all there is, then yes, that's exhausting. But I don't think it's that all there is. I just think it's an important part of what there is. Yes. Well, that's all our letters for now. Um, but you can send us more letters because we try to answer letters at the end of the show every week. Um, you can email us downstream at relay.fm or just if you're a Relay FM member, you can send a message preceded by question mark, ask downstream in the Relay FM members discord. Those also get to us. I swear I'm checking that spreadsheet now. <laughs> um, I wasn't before, but I am now. Uh, and you can tweet at us at downstream pod, of course, and love to your mothers. However, you send us your messages. You can find director of strategy, Julia at loudmouth, Julia on Twitter and ParrotAnalytics.com. And you can find me, your master of ceremonies at Jsnell on Twitter and six colors dot com uh until next time when we'll be back live well you know not pre-recorded to talk about whatever has happened in the month since we've been gone uh julia it's been a pleasure as always it's been a pleasure i'm excited well, by the time that we get back live it'll be in the middle or just before uh the the best tv streaming season kicks off oh man yeah we gotta we gotta take our break now <laughs> um because then things are gonna really kick off so it's gonna be bananas in uh, august so all right uh Until next time. Bye, Julia. Bye, guys.